So this morning, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to launch back into Samuel next week and finish 1 Samuel and start 2 Samuel. But first, I want us to go back and read this morning one of the um, most important texts in the Old Testament. Okay, so according to Jesus Christ, this that we're going to read this morning is the greatest commandment in the Bible. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Beginning in verse 4. This is God's word. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Verse 4 is known as the Shema, which is the Hebrew word for hear. And the statement that follows, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, is a statement of exclusivity. It is a statement of monotheism. It is saying, you know, our God is the only God. And this is, of course, what made the Hebrew religion different from every other religion at that time. They believe, as we believe, there is only one real God. And the greatest commandment that follows is how our God must be worshipped. It says we must love Him. And how must we love Him? With everything. With all of our heart. With all of our soul. With all of our Might. God commands us to love Him with everything that we have. And the best illustration that I could think of to describe this commandment is strength conditioning or bodybuilding. Okay, so if you've ever done this years ago, I did it for a brief period. Um, My wife's not convinced that's true, but it, it is true. Very brief period in my life. I did a little weightlifting poorly. Um, it's no, it's true though. I actually took creatine and all that stuff for about six months. Anyways, <clears throat> but uh, there's a concept called maxing out. Okay, maxing out is how athletes actually build strength. They push their muscles to the limit. They're actually tearing, causing micro tears in the muscles that cause the muscles to grow back stronger and bigger. And so they're pushing their bodies to the limit. Instead of lifting smaller weights at greater repetition, they lift larger weights with fewer repetitions. And maxing out is then lifting your personal best. It is the most weight that you could potentially lift on your own. And in a sense, that's what God is commanding here. He is commanding us to 
max out our love for Him. To push our love for Him to the absolute limit. And that's easy to see in the text because in Hebrew, the word for might says love God with all your might. That word is actually just the word very. That's what the word means in, in Hebrew. Love God with all your very. Okay, and Hebrews is, Hebrew is sometimes strange like that, you know. So he's saying, love God with your veriness. Love God with your mostness. So loving God with your very means, like maxing out, giving it that last push, giving it everything that you have, all your energy. But there's more to it even than that. Because it may not just be something that you have. It may not be that you're giving it everything that you have, but that you're also adding to it something that's available to you. In weightlifting, the proper way to max out is to use someone called a spotter. You don't know if you're hitting your max weight until you literally can't lift anymore, right? So if you can do it by yourself and then put the bar back, you haven't actually maxed out. You have to push your muscle group to the limit until you literally can't lift anymore. And the only safe way to do that is for someone to stand above you or beside you to help you lift the weight when it becomes too much to bear. Otherwise, it would be dangerous. Okay, so this idea... Is, is actually present in the text because if you go to the Greek translation of this verse, when it's quoted in the New Testament, the same word for might is translated as power. In Aramaic, that word actually means wealth. And so the idea is that God is telling us not just to use everything that I have, but to use literally every resource at my disposal to love Him. Not only your personal strength, but whatever else you have available to you. And that fits if you look at what God tells Moses in verses 7 through 9. Read it again. It says, You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, God is saying, I must be treasured in your minds and in your hearts always. I want you to personally apply my word to your lives in such a way that it, it impacts your relationships. It needs to be obvious to those around you, to those who pass by your house. It needs to be obvious to those in your family that your children see that this matters, that I matter more than anything else in your life. It, it matters at home. It matters at work. It matters to your neighbors. In our context, it means that God cares as much about what our eyes see on our phones as he does what they see in our Bibles. 
It means that God cares about the person that we are when we sing on Sunday morning and the person we were on a date the night before. He cares about how we spend our money because, according to him, it is a resource that he has placed at our disposal that he actually owns. He cares about our health because our bodies are a resource that he has given to us for a purpose. He cares about how we parent our children. He cares about how we honor our parents. He cares about how we love our spouses and how we respect people in authority and how we treat our friends and how we treat our co-workers. Eating, sleeping, texting, gaming, laughing, crying, drawing, running. All of it matters to God. And why do we owe this all to God? Why does He get to demand this of us? He's not asking, He's telling. What gives Him the right? The answer is simple. It's because He created us. He made you, He owns you, and every single breath you take is a gift from Him. And because that's the only way Um, that we will ever really find true joy and peace? Let me put it this way. So, either you believe that God created you and owns you and every breath is a gift from Him, or you end up believing that like everything is chaos and nothing really matters and you're here by accident. Those are kind of the options. But if what the Bible teaches is true, if God actually did create you and He owns you and He's giving you every breath, then the only way you're actually going to find true joy and peace in this world is in being what God made you to be. Because if you resist that, if you live as if the world is just chaos and you're here by accident... How could you possibly find joy and happiness in that when you were actually created by someone for a purpose and you have no idea what it was? You see? And so the Bible teaches God made us for His glory that everything we have is a gift from Him and that we are to use those gifts, those resources for His glory. So... Get to work. Do that. Go home and do that. Right? Use all your energy, all your resources for God and for His glory. Go do that. All right? Amen. Let's pray. It's not that simple, right? (laughs) And yet, that is how some sermons end, is it not? Why is it not that simple? Okay, why am I not ending the sermon right there? I mean, the commandment is clear. That's what he wants us to do, right? Go love me with your very. Go do that. And if you're not doing that, you're breaking a command. The most important command. So think back over your 
last few hours, right? I don't have to say your life. Think back over your last few hours. Did you love God with your very? Did you love Him with everything? Can you prove it? It's not that simple because we are weak people. Because even the best of us have little to offer God. Our maxing out for Jesus is weak. It's weak. I want to read a story from the Gospels. This is uh, toward the end of Matthew, Matthew 26. Okay? So before I read this, just to make a quick statement, Jesus has now spent about three years with his disciples, teaching them, training them, discipling them. Okay? If you'd spent three years with Jesus, I would hope if I'd spent three years with God in the flesh, I'd be a pretty mature Christian at that point, right? I'd be pretty good at giving God my everything. But not so fast. Matthew 26, verse 36, says this, And Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And He said to His disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, he began to to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Okay? Going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible... Let this cup pass from me, nevertheless not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so you could not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping. For their eyes were heavy. And you want to be like, oh, their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. And then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. See, my betrayer is at hand. So Jesus takes his three most trusted disciples, the best of the best, at the most critical hour of his ministry. And all he asks them to do is to stay awake and pray for an hour. That's all he's asking of them. But they're too tired. As someone who perpetually is tired and takes lots of naps, I I can identify with this. These guys are weak. They fail three times. Jesus finds them sleeping Three times. And I came to this story to highlight two things. 
Number one, notice that God absolutely wants everything that we have and he's going to keep asking for it. Okay, notice that Jesus doesn't cut them any slack, right? There's a lesson being taught here. There is something he wants from them. Even at the end, even though the time is up and they've already failed, he still tells them to do it. He's not giving up on, he's not letting them give up on what he wants from them. Do you see that? God is going to ask for everything and he's going to keep asking for it because that's what he deserves. It's what he wants for us. But second, God knows our weakness. God knows our weakness. And even in that text, even as Jesus is praying about the cup of wrath that He's going to drink for us, even there He's saying something about, okay, I know you're weak and I know you can't do it, so I'm going to do it. He's answering that weakness in His Son. Jesus is patient with them. And He's patient with us. He's asking only what He has the right to ask and He's going to keep asking it. And He deserves it. But He's also patient with us and He knows that we're weak. Now some of you are discouraged this morning because you've heard this message many times, right? Give everything up for God. Okay? Back in the 90's it was... Be sold out for Jesus. You heard those sermons? Are you sold out for God? S-O-U-L-E-D, right? Probably based on Deuteronomy 6. Are you sold out for God? But then the message stops there, right? Max out for Jesus. Give it all for God. And then that's it. Go home and try better. Try harder. And you know what? You really do for a little while. Right? You get jazzed up, you go to a conference, retreat, you know, uh, centrifuge, something like that. You get jazzed up, you come home for Jesus, right? I'm going to be better. And what does it take? A couple of weeks, sometimes a couple of days, right? And you're back into your old habits. Or you just burn out. You never end up feeling like you did enough, right? Never feels like it's enough. And we all know there are people in the church that think they're doing a good job of maxing out for Jesus, right? Of They're sold out, right? Uh, I, I'm, you know, and they, they want everybody to know it. And at least they look like it on the outside, But if that's not you, you actually see that and you think it seems kind of arrogant. And in reality, a lot of times these folks in the church look down on everybody else, right? And there were people like that in Jesus' day. They took very seriously the command of Deuteronomy 6. They actually walked around in public with little boxes on their foreheads called phylacteries. And inside those boxes, they would roll up little scrolls which were passages of Scripture, and they would put them in that box, 
And it was a way to show that they were literally keeping God's word between their eyes, like verse 8 says to do. And some Orthodox Jews are still doing that to this day. But Jesus said that they were doing it to be seen by people and not really because they had God's word on their minds or in their hearts. You see, because when religion is done in our own strength or for our own glory, it actually pushes people away from the church and it actually hurts our own faith because we think that trusting in ourselves is the answer and God is not interested in us learning to be strong without Him. He is not interested in seeing how much weight you can lift without a spotter. God is interested in us learning to be strong in Him. We must boast in the strength of Christ alone. Jesus Christ proved His strength in the garden and later at the cross. The disciples slept while He poured out His heart to God. The disciples ran and hid while... The Son of God allowed His own children to nail Him to a tree. Jesus gave up His last breath and then three days later the power of God raised Jesus from the dead. And that's the kind of strength that honors God. And because of our sin, this kind of strength is only available to us through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we throw ourselves on Him and He is our strength. We come to God in our weakness, which is all we really have to offer. And our maxing out in comparison to what Christ has done is really kind of pathetic. But God is not concerned. He takes it, applies His grace to it, and turns it into strength. The message being that alone I am weak. In Christ, I am strong. So what does this mean? It means that if you want to love God with everything you have in your life, if you want to give Him your veriness, if you want to give Him your all, then it starts with admitting that you have almost nothing to give Him on your own. And not just one time, but every day coming to that realization in repentance and faith that I've got nothing to give apart from Christ. And so when you begin to see that even your best works aren't good enough, that only in Christ is it ever going to be good enough, that's when change begins to happen. Because Jesus is our spotter. He's literally taking the crushing weight and pulling it off of us. If you belong to Jesus, then God has every intention of turning us into someone who will love Him with everything that He gives us to love Him with. You don't have to stress about that. You just have to trust Him. And when you begin to trust God and to lean on the strength that's found in Jesus Christ, you find yourself connected to an infinite amount of resources and energy and you will grow. You will grow. 
And as we close, I want to think about New Year's, okay? So this is what I was kind of setting us up for because this is the week when most Americans make plans and goals. We call them resolutions. I have a few that are, you know, not completely solid in my brain yet, but they're, they're bumping around in there. And we know that many of those goals and plans that we make over the next few weeks will be forgotten in a matter of a few more weeks, typically, right? I'm going to read more. I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to make healthier food choices, right? And sometimes we do these things. Sometimes we fail. When we don't stick to our resolutions, what's the issue? So if you think back, the times when you made a goal and then you didn't keep it, what was the issue, okay? We get lazy, or we get forgetful, or we lack the willpower, usually my problem. Something else comes along that gets our attention that we focus on instead, right? The bottom line is, We stop wanting whatever it is enough to actually do something about it. We lose interest or our desires shift or we fail and we get discouraged and we give up and we focus somewhere else. But what if, what if we found something that was really worth trading everything for? What if we found something that was so captivating, so beautiful, so worth it, that all of our goals and all of our plans and all of our life became about nothing else but getting that thing? Having that thing. If you knew when and where the next Powerball ticket was going to be sold, what would you do with that information? You'd go buy it, right? If you knew what the final score was going to be, you know, at the national championship, what would you do with that information? If you knew that the property next door to the church that's for sale um, had diamonds buried all over the property, what would you do? you would gather as many resources as you possibly could to buy that land, right? And this is the simple teaching of Jesus. He says the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy he goes, for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who... When he found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is common sense. The Bible is telling us that everyone who puts faith in Christ Jesus will live in a world without pain, tears, death, or sin. That's the end game. That's the promise. That's why we're doing this. That's why we're here. It's not just that we believe God created us and owns us and all that, but it's because what He's promised us about the future. If we only hope in this life, Paul says, then we're to be pitied. Right? But what the Bible says is that those who have faith in Jesus Christ will one day live in a world with no pain, no injustice, 
No tears. No sickness. No death. No sin. And if God shows you how real that is, it will become the thing that you're willing to give up everything else for. That's common sense. And God has already showed you at the cross. Jesus already gave up everything for you to have that. And there is power in that story. All that remains is how will you respond? Will you admit your weakness and rest in the strong arms of your Savior? Let's pray. Father, as much as I want to, there is absolutely nothing I can do to get anybody in this room to believe that this is true. I don't have the power, I don't have the strength, I can't change the hearts of men and women and children. You're the only one that can do that. And so if you want anybody in this room here today to see the truth, to know the truth that there is a treasure greater than anything else we got yesterday. That there is something worth giving up everything else for. You're going to have to do that in their heart. Flip on the lights. And Father, to be honest, I need to be reminded of that this morning. Because I so easily forget. Just like your disciples, the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Help us, Lord Jesus. Help us to consider everything you've made and to hear your voice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.